0: There are many people who come through our programs who have had experiences of violence, be it domestic violence or at the hands of the criminal legal system or so many situations. And so people can sometimes like fold in upon themselves. And so it's really amazing to see people blossom in the way that I think we all have the right to.
1: Welcome to the Good Around Us podcast. Here, we share stories of people doing good for others. I'm your host, Stephanie Keeley. There's something really powerful that happens when a person's skill set, ambition, compassion, experience, dedication, and values all come together to meet a need in the world. On this podcast, we hear it time and again how individuals are combining their unique gifts to create an impact. I see all of this demonstrated with our guest today. Ngozi Okaro is the founder and executive director of Custom Collaborative. Ngozi founded Custom Collaborative to help women launch sustainable fashion businesses and careers and to advocate for a fashion industry that honors the planet and serves fashion industry workers, the majority of whom are immigrant and low-income women, and thoughtful consumers who want quality, sustainable clothes that fit the body well. Over the course of a career in social sector leadership, Ngozi has led education, social justice, and community-based organizations to identify and meet their missions. Among many distinctions, Ngozi is a 2022 Goldman Sachs Black Woman Impact Leader and AARP Purpose Prize Fellow.
0: Here's Ngozi's story. Before I started uh, Custom Collaborative, I was a management consultant to both nonprofits and for-profits, and I um, really enjoyed that work. A lot of my work is around um, strategy, and yeah, so I I feel like I had a, a pretty normal nine to five existence Um, before I decided to start Custom Collaborative.
1: The idea that spurred all of this ultimately started from your uh, love of colorful, well-fitting clothing um, and, and utilizing a dressmaker for your wardrobe. So share a bit about that experience.
0: Sure. So I am tall and I like nice clothes. And being tall, it's harder to find clothes. And when you do find them off the rack, generally you have to get them altered. Um, I did, which cost more money. And uh, sometimes I had clothes made. When I was um, growing up, my mother made my clothes, which I really hated. And I begged her to stop making my clothes. So then by like middle school, I was like buying clothes. And then by the time I got to college, I asked her like, would you make my clothes again? She had (laughs) no interest. But uh, when I moved to New York, I was fortunate to find some um, dressmakers, uh, women who could make made to measure or actually custom clothes for me that were like the style, the colors, the fabric and the fit that I wanted. And uh, it was just amazing to me that i could have exactly what i wanted and i didn't have to fight about is my waist too small for the hip it's like this this clothing is just going to fit me um and eventually so many people stopped me and asked me how they could get clothes like this that my mind really started worrying to try to figure out like how i could make um connections between people who could make clothes that fit people's bodies and people who wanted clothes that fit their bodies and made them really happy.
1: If I understand it correctly, there there was kind of this this pricing discrepancy too. Um the affordability versus the will the willingness to pay, right?
0: Right, absolutely. So for for me, I would have um the my primary dressmaker, uh Mariyama, I would ask her to make me a dress and she'd make me a dress originally she charged me and this was years ago she would charge me like eighty dollars for a dress and then she decided i was a good customer so she was going to lower the price that i paid to like 65 dollars. and then when my friends came she would give them my preferred price and i'm just like this is all wrong right this is all backwards and and so what i had done was um some focus groups to find out from people like how much would you pay for a what I was calling a desk to dinner dress like a, a, a dress you could wear to work and then out for cocktails and people were telling me multiples people were saying anywhere like between 200 and 500 plus dollars for these dresses that Mariama was charging next to nothing for so I started thinking about how to get her all of this money that she was missing uh, through her um, low-cost customers and that's part of what made me think, all right, well, we need to have a custom collaborative that will help people develop both their um, clothing production skills, but more important, their business skills, um, and explain to people, like, here's how you do pricing, here's the some of the good methodologies for purchasing. So even now, um, through the the work that we do that I'll talk about in a second, um, the women um End up creating a business plan for their business based on the the components that we uh, provide and teach them.
1: You know there are several trades that uh, primarily women do, and you see that often where pricing is just such a struggle. It's almost like there's this feeling of imposition that if you you ask for too much. Someone won't want to use your service. And so you just keep lowering your price. Right. I do feel like, uh, and I don't have this data right here with me on this, but I do feel like there is that difference between men and women in, in that trade profession.
0: Yes, I think that's absolutely the case. And it's interesting because within the work that I do with custom collaborative, we frequently have to... Um, convince the women, not just in our programs, but other women who um, come through um, with some business ideas and want feedback. Because we do a little bit of, of counseling for people who are not uh, who don't go through our programs. There is a lot of times severe discomfort to the point of where I've seen people cry when we're saying you have to increase your prices. This is not a fair price to you. So there's this real push and pull about what people want for themselves and how much they're willing to ask in order to get there. Um, I think that if part of what I see is that people look at the, the customer as like, oh, this is a relationship that I have with this person. So I want to be fair to them and I want to be nice to them. I think that within the relationship you can share who you are, and that makes that can make people um, even more happy to pay even more money than you're charging them. I one of our um, participants uh, told me uh, about a year and a half ago that one of her clients she was charging let's say X for a pantsuit, and our participant thought that was really good money, and it wasn't bad. But the person was like one size on the top and two different sizes on the bottom, right? So if you go to buy something, you've got to splice it and slice it and dice it. And so she said at one point, the client asked her, well, have you really priced your time and figured out how much you should be charging me for this? And so she said, oh, well, no, let me go back. And she did that. And it ended up being twice what she was charging the woman and the woman willingly paid it. Right. I had been saying and our business coach had been saying to this person, you need to increase your prices. You need to include the full cost. But it took somebody else, another woman uh, to say, I think you're not getting the full value of your work from this. So it's I think it's something where we we continue to, to all support each other in this and getting the, the value that, that we deserve for our hard work.
1: Mhm. Yeah, I mean I think you clarified it right there, but it's not about saying, oh, just charge more, oh, charge more, um make more of a profit. It's it's not that. It's about fairness and and value for the work you're doing. Uh you know, a fair value. Well, let's talk about Custom Collaborative. So what is the main purpose and the and activities that Custom Collaborative does?
0: We exist to provide Fair earned income opportunity for no and low income and immigrant women within the sustainable fashion industry. We envision a world where women are able to participate in the economy at a level where they receive financial support that's commensurate with what they put in. In fashion specifically, women do almost all of the work of creating clothing, but the big profits and the big salaries disproportionately go to men, whether that's as like C-suite executives or lower or um, shareholders and owners. And so what we're really trying to do is make the industry more equitable. So to that end, we have three programs. We have a training institute that's 15 weeks. Women are with us 30 hours per week, so a total of 450 hours, where they learn to design, sew, and sell sustainable fashion. Um, People learn how to sew. They learn how to make patterns. They learn about uh, sustainability, both environmental and human rights. They go through um, personal finance coaching as well as business plan uh, training so our entrepreneurship curriculum is um, 10 modules and so at the end of the the 15 weeks the women emerge with a business plan in addition to the ability to make uh, custom clothing for um, other people we actually just had a training institute graduation uh, on February 17. And so that graduation is really spectacular because women walk the runway in an outfit that their classmate has made for them. And they have to describe their, what the garment is and talk about their journey. So um, the the event that we had, um, more than 100 people came. And so it was really great for a windy and cold Friday night um, to be able to to see people really um, live out their dreams and talk about how they came to believe in themselves and how they gained so many more skills and so much confidence. The second part of our work is a business incubator. And so the women who have graduated from our training institute are immediately eligible for the incubator. We can help them refine their business plans um, get them business connect them to customers uh connect them to internships and apprenticeships that we operate as well as jobs and and just help them as they you know get their 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 feet under them and 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 ready to fly off. And of course, we also help other small and emerging designers as well. And then the final program of our work is worker-owned cooperative development with a worker-owned cooperative being like any other business. It's just that the workers own it, the equity, they make the decisions um, about everything collectively. And so through those models of training and mentoring and advocating for and with women, we are making a shift in how people view an industry that's worked one way for a really long time, but is not necessarily working well.
1: That's no small operation. That is, you know, quite quite so many um, aligned initiatives that you're doing and and really looking at the industry from, you know, from the beginning to end, that training to business development and Um, and sustainability. So I can only imagine that um, you're quite busy.
0: Yes, yes, I am quite busy, Um, busier than I would like to be. I um, have some, an idea that 2023, I'm going to be less, less busy and do more wellness and self-care, and I haven't quite gotten there yet, but I'm almost certain that I will.
1: <laughs> Keep that as a goal, for sure.
0: Yeah, I mean, one of the things um, about our work is that we're actually a startup organization. We um, launched our first program in at the end of 2016, and, you know, I'm an ambitious person and I had ambitious goals for the organization. So we have, you know, values that we stick with, but we also want to make sure that like we're doing the best job possible. And so we're growing and learning as we're growing. But you know, honestly, some people think of that, you know, we have unlimited capacity, but we are a startup. And so I'm just glad that we were able to start up and, and stay open through COVID for sure.
1: Yeah. Certainly um, the timing was such that it could be, could have been devastating to your work and uh, the type of work you do. Why did you find it important for this to be a nonprofit organization rather than a for-profit company? Because, you know, certainly you could think of um, custom clothing, you look, doing the research you did, you probably could have found that there was some good profitability there um, and, and could have made it a, a for-profit company. So I'm curious about the nonprofit angle.
0: Yeah, so that's a great question because that is something that I considered along with my advisors uh, for a while before we started. And there were there were two things. Like one, some people were saying and I think it's right, oh, you could make a lot of money if you just hire the women and have them make the custom clothes people pay you and you pay the women. Yes, that's absolutely right. But part of it for me was about having like a social goal as well. So We're a nonprofit social enterprise. And it seemed to me if we just operated in a way that we paid people um, and they really didn't have any ownership or understanding of the business, then it wouldn't have the scale that I wanted to be able to have in, in terms of um, helping women power their own businesses and, and, and even giving people like the confidence and the skills because um, some people work with us in, in our programs and they decide, oh, I'm actually going to start a catering business or... I want to work in graphic design within fashion, right? But if I just said, okay, so we're just going to have like a dressmaking operation and we'll pay you better than anybody else does, but it, it doesn't really um, get the engagement or go to the point that I wanted to, the point of women having equity in their own businesses and lives.
1: You shared that it's primarily immigrant women and um, those with without jobs. Correct.
0: There's some people who have like part time and in other like random positions, like nothing that is paying them a living wage. Um, some people are juggling things. One of the things that we do in our program is we pay people in the training program um, a stipend and provide them with a Metro card. So then that way they're able to offset some of whatever they may, may be losing and also, we're giving them the means to to get to and from class and to the field trips and everything um, on time and with ease.
1: I would imagine that there is some great impact that you're seeing from a very personal level. I'm sure you have data on that that too. Um, but what are some of the what are some of the stories that you hear of the impact on women, which is truly what you were seeking from the beginning, is that there would be a change in individual people's lives and in the fashion industry.
0: Some of the changes in which are easy to calculate is how much money did you make this year as compared to last year, as compared to the year before? Like that is the relatively easy part and the part that like we can quantify. Then there's other qualitative things that we find out about, well, I should say, I find out about somebody said to me at our our first graduation in 2017, thank you so much for having this program because now I have a reason to get out of bed in the morning. And before I felt like I didn't have any value, but now I know that I can do things, including, you know, help uh, with my daughters at camp and school. And then I heard a, um, actually our our graduation speaker from Friday the 17th of February saying that she had been suffering depression and had um, considered taking her own life. And then she thought, well, I really have to do something for my family that's remaining. And so then she came to our program and she has skills and hope, and she's able to do the type of work that she's always wanted to do, right? And so everything is not that dramatic for some people. um, It's, they have a network. And so like, as adults, it's harder to find new friends, right? Um, But now they have like this network of people who they can rely on. I mean, during the early part of the pandemic, one person left town, and another person who was in her cohort that had only been um, in session for two and a half weeks needed a place to stay, and this one woman said, okay, well, you can stay in my apartment, right? And so just um, the fact that there are people who you immediately can develop a bond with and have as business partners or friends is really important. And again, not something that we thought of in the beginning of how to make the program and how to make it work. But it's this really amazing effect of people being able to collaborate and do things that they didn't think they could do. You know, people go back and get their GEDs. There are people who go and take more um, English language classes because they feel like, oh, I can do things. I know how to do things. And I see the value of some things that I might not have seen before. Yeah, that
1: confidence builder, right? I mean, I think that is something that um is extremely important. You know, one one win leads to the confidence to take on something else and to get another win. And it it just keeps driving the change in a person's life. Um, especially in you know, in those cases where you You've shared, women maybe felt like they had nothing left.
0: Yes. And there are many people who come through our programs who have had experiences of violence, be it domestic violence or at the hands of the criminal legal system, or so many situations. And so people can sometimes like fold in upon themselves. And so it's really amazing to see people blossom in the way that I think we all have the right to.
1: Mm. A visual. Yeah. You know, running, as we've said, there is so much that you do. You're quite busy. um, And running a nonprofit organization like yours takes a lot of, it takes great dedication. Um, And I'm curious what it is that motivates you to keep doing this work. You've shared that you are um, ambitious and um, I would imagine almost competitive with yourself and that you have lofty goals. But um, you know, goals alone, I don't think could give you the the motivation just to do the, the extreme work that it takes to, to do this. So what motivates you?
0: You're absolutely right. I'm so competitive with myself. And I actually hardly ever hear people talk about people being competitive with themselves, but like that's 100%. So thank you for flagging that. One of my core values is justice. And so When I look and see like how arbitrarily unjust like some people's life situations are, it really bothers me. And so part of this work is me trying to equalize opportunity and use whatever capital I have to pass it on to other people so they can flourish. Like whatever like networks and advantages I have, I want other people to be able to have that and i think um another thing is my faith right so this is the way that i have been like since i can remember like uh fairness has always been a, a a value for me and when i was 6 and somebody told me i should be a lawyer and i looked up what that was and i was just like oh yes this is the perfect thing for me right and so I've always been focused on women's issues and fairness. And of course, I like nice looking things. And so fashion um, makes sense. But it's also, um, I think, just like a a core value that I have had um, my entire life. And so I want to continue to do good and figure out how to make things better and pilot initiatives like this. Um, where people can see that like, it's possible to, to get things done. We can just look at things through a different lens and collaborate with others and make cool stuff happen.
1: A lot of work I do is around leadership development and and women in leadership, and we focus a lot on core values. And so hearing you share your why being your core value, it just makes so much sense that you're able to keep driving down that path because when you're focused on why you're doing it and your why is aligned with your core values, that makes all the difference.
0: Yes. Yes. You're absolutely right about that. And so I, I did something... A couple of years ago, where like these there are these flip cards, and you narrow them down of like a hundred cards and you get to like three of your core values. And so definitely like the fairness justice one was one for me. And the other, another was like learning and knowledge. And I just love to to figure things out and to help others figure things out as well. So really excited to be in a position where I can help make other people's dreams come true while doing what I like to do.
1: So Ngozi, what is a quote that you live by?
0: One is actually a poem by Langston Hughes, and it's called Luck. Sometimes a crumb falls from the tables of joy. Sometimes a bone is flung. To some people, love is given. To others, only heaven. And you know, the poem is called Luck and it it just makes me think about the arbitrariness um, about like how, you know, some people have you know different opportunities than others based on maybe just nothing, like what's your first language or or whatever. Um, and then my other one, is it's actually um, a scripture. And so it's my brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience, but let patience have its perfect work that you may be perfect and complete lacking nothing. James chapter one verses two through
1: five. I love both of them. They're so very much aligned with, with the work that you do. Thank you so much for being here today and sharing your story. I I love getting to learn a bit more about the fashion industry and your work with custom collaborative. Um, and, and thank you for all you're doing for, for women and in the world.
0: Thank you. Thank you so much for inviting me and for allowing me to to share my and some other people's stories. I'm also really grateful to Jessica Schreiber of FabScrap who connected us. So thank you.
1: Ngozi leads with a thoughtful steadiness and a clear vision of doing what's right for others. I know that I have a lot to learn from her. At the end of the episode, Ngozi mentioned Jessica Schreiber who connected us. You can hear Jessica's amazing story in the podcast episode 2.7, Rethinking Waste. Jessica is another bright person rethinking the sustainability of the fashion industry. To learn more about Custom Collaborative, be sure to check out their website, customcollaborative.org, and social media sites, all are linked in the show notes. Before you leave your phone or computer today, could you do me a favor? We'll only take a couple seconds. Go to your favorite podcast app and follow this show bonus points. If you leave a review in Apple podcasts and triple bonus points will be awarded. If you share this episode with a friend, this is the primary way that the podcast can grow. And the ripple effect continues bonus points will be distributed through good vibes sent your way. Thanks for listening to the good around us podcast until next time.